Climate change is here. It's not off in the future somewhere where we can ignore it. It's right in front of us. Massive fires, drought, intense storms, rising sea levels. There's no magic bullet and no single solution. It's a patchwork of things with everyone doing a little bit to help turn this around. This is part of our job now. This is our responsibility to our kids and their kids. And this is Green Street. With catastrophic global warming already baked into the climate system, today's children face a future entirely unlike that of their parents. They will come face to face with the impact of our inability or unwillingness to address climate change in time. How can we maintain hope and make a difference in the face of overwhelming evidence of the climate crisis? I'm happy to say that help is at hand Harriet Sugarman, the climate mama and trusted advisor to parents, has written a new book called How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, which provides tools and strategies for parents to explain the climate emergency to their children and galvanize positive action. Patty and I spoke with Harriet last week. Here's our interview with Harriet Sugarman. Let's start right now, and we're, we're going to welcome you to Green Street and are so delighted to have you as a guest on our show I want to know how you have moved to thinking so much about climate change uh, when you spent most of your career working as a policy analyst and economist. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, how you've moved sure. from, from one, uh, from one what's looked like a, a solid career into a, uh, another one? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and first of all, thank you both so much for inviting me onto your show. I'm thrilled to be here. And yes, I have had, um, you know, worn different hats at different times. And my early career was with um, government in Canada. Uh, I am Canadian, working as a policy analyst. And then I spent 13 years with the International Monetary Fund uh, at the United Nations, 10 of which where I was one of their representatives at the New York office. But it was during the 90s, and it was a time where the UN was looking at these um, really big issues and having these um, international conferences. So I also was fortunate to travel the world with them as we followed these um, events of the UN. And interestingly enough, when I first joined the fund office, the first thing we were covering um, was working on the preparatory committee for the first Earth Summit, the 1992 um, conference in Brazil where really the world defined sustainability and it was the first time that the world came together to look at the climate emergency as a global um, entity with over 190 countries agreeing you know we were causing our climate to change but um, so so but yet it seemed personally for me at this very sort of high level we were arguing over the declaration and over you know, the documents that were written and, you know, over ands and buts and ors, because actually that makes a difference when you're looking at um, those kind of documents. But I didn't see that. I didn't feel connected to the climate crisis. Um, it seemed to be happening, you know, as we hear sometimes seven generations off or just 
somewhere in the future. And um, so I guess fast forward, um, I had two children. It became complicated for me as a mom, working mom, to manage everything. And I, we, I left the IMF full time and um, was spending time with my children at my children's schools and daycare. And um, and then I did this training in uh, 2007, one of the first trainings that Al Gore did with the Climate Reality Project. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of those, you know, we talk about aha moments, but it, it truly was for me where all of a sudden I realized that we were living the climate crisis. It was happening to people I knew. It was happening around the world and impacting people in different ways. Really, it was happening. And nobody where I was seemed to be aware of the urgency of the crisis. So um, that changed my life in in a big way. I sort of was in between where my career was at. I decided to saw uh, that parents needed to hear this information, and I couldn't find anything that was geared to parents directly. You know, there's a lot of information in 2007 about our climate emergency already, but it wasn't geared to me as a mom of young children. So I founded Climate Mama, and that's how it happened. <laughs> it's taken, taken over my life, and I've met wonderful people like both of you and many uh, amazing people committed to working on uh, educating and advocating on um, solutions to our climate crisis. Well, congratulations to you, Harriet, for your, for your great website. It really is terrific, and, and all the work that you've done. I mean, can I just go back a little bit, because I, I know that you mentioned the first Earth Summit was in Brazil in 1992, and at that time we were already saying we have a a climate emergency on our hands here that doesn't get a whole lot of attention what actually happened between then and the paris climate change accord what moved nations to take the next steps or were there many steps in between yeah it's such a good question um patty and there were many steps in between and in fact there were meetings you know prior to that at, at you know, that involved a global stage as well, because really, you know, we know that uh, in the U.S. we started taking it more seriously in um, the late 80s when we had congressional hearings on the climate crisis. But that meeting in Brazil, that that conference of parties that was at the head of state level, established uh, what it has become now these yearly COPs, these conference of the parties that established the International Panel on Climate Change. So it established and underpinned the, the agencies and bodies of the UN that then have met on a regular basis to to help further the conversation on what we're going to do on the climate crisis. But even with the Paris Agreement, which was, you know, one of the, these COPs, these conference of the parties, mm-hmm. they're not binding, right? That not, nothing the UN does or can do is binding. And even and that was something I learned in my time at the UN, that the importance of these agreements, like the Paris Agreement, is that our countries come together and agree on it at that national level. We then have this international agreement, and we, as both as subnational governments or as frontline communities or as organizations, uh, civil society, then can point and say to our government, you agree, you recognize that in the case of the Paris Agreement, we need to really keep temperatures below 1.5 degrees, um, but definitely below 2 degrees. Or, or, you know, the broad things we agreed to in, in Paris that we know are not enough, but we came together and agreed on these things. 
And now it's up to us to hold our governments accountable. But there, those happened every year in between, and we built up to the Paris Agreement, and there, there were, are many other agreements, you know, looking at forests, that biodiversity, biodiversity, et cetera, that came out of that 1992 conference that our governments at the national level attend every year, and they help inform and form our own national policies as well. So, so lots happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I, I, I want to get, you know, very quickly into how we're talking to our children about this because it's critically important. But that action that Trump took or President Trump took to pull out of the Paris Agreement. It was what, more what, symbolic than anything it, else, right, Harry? I yeah, mean, I mean it, that, it, it wasn't binding us, but it was kind of, as you indicate, a really good tool for activists and, and NGOs to kind of put pressure on the government to say, you know, you agreed to this and so let's get it done. Right, exactly. And and what, uh, you know, at the time, so President Obama that came in that was part of that agreement, each country came to Paris with their own um, climate agreement. So it was not imposed on any countries, and there's this whole misunderstanding about that. And mm-hmm. Each country came with their plan every five years. Each country has to tighten it. That's why we know, you know, what, what was committed by the U.S. was something that the president, at the, you know, Obama could do. He didn't need congressional approval. We, he just agreed to it. So everything is symbolic about that, too. There's no, nobody, you know, there's that moral pressure that you, you agreed you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Then you come back in five years. Uh, when we review these plans and tighten it again and again. So mm-hmm. uh, Trump pulling mm-hmm. us out, is um, it's symbolic. Uh, it, he, it, we were not being forced to do anything, but it sets a terrible signal to the world. It, it abdicates our leadership as, a, as an international leader, as a voice of reason. The U.S. needs to be part of that agreement, and pulling us out of it, you know, it ha- I mean, we could talk about that for hours. Too. Well, yeah, and especially uh, since yeah. the United States is one of the biggest contributors to Absolutely. to to the crisis that we're crisis. having. Exactly. Yeah. All right. It's so true. let's let's talk about let's talk about our kids. We have a seven year old, and a, no, actually, we have a three year old, a five year old, a seven year old, and a ten year old grand you know grandchildren, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we are really concerned about the world that they are going to live in and actually the world that they're growing up in i mean it's already mm-hmm. here like you say mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. upon us so yeah. let's talk about yeah. climate mama and what and your book um so as i mentioned i started climate mama uh, in 2009 which was an online organization and site to come to learn more about the climate crisis to find ways to speak to their kids about it to see examples of what other parents are doing around the country and around the world and so that was in 2009, and by 2019, which was 10 years later, there were many other organizations that had focused, you know, on the voice of parents and hearing parents uh, and speaking to parents. But when we set up Climate Mama, we were the, we, as far as I can tell, we were the first organization and site that did that. You know, it's transitioned through many phases, mm-hmm. the organization, but 10 years was like a milestone. It was a time to reflect for me to be able to look back. What did I learn? So... I had started writing this book called How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turning Thanks to Action, and um, worked with a wonderful publisher, New Society, and it, the book came out, you know, in the midst of our pandemic this past May, and it helped uh, just share some of, you know, our motto at Climate Mama is tell the truth, that actions speak louder than words, 
and to not be afraid. I think those are things we all teach our children and see our grandchildren learning. And I try to work through that, um, you know, laying out the long history of science that we have known about the climate emergency, um, you know, since the turn of the last century. Scientists have been understanding and proving this. How do we as parents uh, inform our kids unless we're informed? So part of the book is really for parents to understand how we got to where we're at, some of the politics that goes behind it, because climate can't be a partisan issue, but we're seeing how that's happened and turned into, mm-hmm. turned uh, it that way. We can't escape it. Uh, we can make it less worse in some ways, you know, here in the U.S., in parts of the U.S. than it is in other countries and other parts of our communities. But it's happening to us now. And things like COVID or uh, racial injustice just magnify how climate is a, is a um, threat multiplier. So the book talks about those things. And then I get to talk to many of my colleagues around the country that work on climate that have children of different ages to get other voices in the book from um, children that are not yet in school uh, to, you know, children that have children of of their own. So how do we, um, as we become more educated, how do we inform and educate our children and our grandchildren so that we feel hopeful in ways that we you know we've gone so far down the road and i i know you both know this uh, uh, intimately but that you know we're living this emergency there's no linear path to getting out of it uh, so we need uh, you know p- people to use their passion to pursue actions and ways forward so in that regard and i truly feel this in advising our kids that what their pa- we should encourage their passions but have them look at it through a lens of understanding we're, we're living a climate emergency. And in that way, we can all be part of making things less worse, right? We're not going to solve the climate crisis. Our planet has moved beyond in many ways. But how do we live with it in a way that isn't chaotic? How, how can our kids be part of that, shaping that? So I think um, that's an important message, and I talk about it in different ways in the book. Wow. How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turning Angst into Action, a book by Harriet Sugarman, published by New Society. Uh, it came out in May during the, uh, during the first few months of the pandemic, and it's a book probably that uh, every, every parent, parent should get. Should get. Yeah, and I, I, we will be pushing this yeah. a little bit. I Go was going to, you know, one of the things that I was intrigued by is your idea of the solutions puzzle and the idea that it's not... You know, there's no one single thing that's going to do this. I think that everybody needs to understand that it's the it's the combined effort of a lot of people doing a lot of different things. Um, that made me feel a little better, actually, you know, because <laughs> sometimes I feel like you know, if we don't get this whole thing done, you know, then 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 we're in trouble. But realizing that everybody's got a part to play here, I'm sure, is reassuring to to kids because you know, kids can do you know, can do their part. Oh, a- absolutely. And I think that we're seeing, um, and that was part of also, too, the timing for the book, right? In the last couple years, we have seen the rise of children's voices around the climate emergency and, and of youth voices. And not that they weren't there before because there's been many um, activist youth and many youth doing many things, you know, in their schools and their communities. But it seemed um, all of a sudden that, corporations, governments, communities were paying more attention. They were hearing those voices and youth were being invited to the table to 
and this whole intergenerational idea, which I think is critical as well, right? We can't just say, oh, good, you know, here's these young people. They're talking about it, boom, on your shoulders. And, and sometimes I know kids also feel that way, um, but it must be all of us. And, again, I think there are so many sh- more shoulders than when all three of us were starting or you started decades ago working on all of these important um, environmental and, you know, layered climate issues. I see so many more people understanding it and um, accepting these things. And in that same way, though, Doug, as you said, um, people do want to say, well, just tell me those three things because I'm really busy and I need to just know what I can do. And, you know, the beauty and the complicated part is that there aren't just three things. Mm-hmm. There are There's yeah. an infinite number of things. Um, and we'll never finish that puzzle, but we can be part of building it and continuing the work on it. So you have really identified the demographic that we identify, which is parents of of young children, because we feel that this is a particular time in, in one's life when you are going to make change, when you're going to have your antenna up and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for my kids or I'm going to protect my children. Uh, this is, a, you know, this is a time when when you really do find people who are, you know, steeped in tradition or habits or whatever who are willing to make changes because of their kids. And so you're talking about how to talk to your kids, but but I think that you're also tapping into some some activism in uh, in not only the children but in those parents of those sure. young children. The instinct to protect is that. pretty pretty strong. Yeah. So what uh, is it? Have you identified? And I know that we've talked in in general terms about things. There are many things that we can do. It's not just four things. It's not just these three pieces of the puzzle, et cetera, et cetera. But what are some of the things that that you have identified that children can actually do, or that? families with young children can do? Yes, um, because, you know, we can start naming um, many of those things so that people don't feel, you know, there aren't uh, clear examples, and there absolutely aren't. I think that, um, as you do, too, depending on the age of the children, the the actions are going to be different, right? There's no Mm -hmm. one-size-fits-all for each family, etc., but certainly with our very young children, uh, and then, um, you know, as they're growing up and, and they're in our homes with us, too, is setting those examples, showing them that we care, as you said, you know, by our actions. So when they're spending time out in nature, understanding the importance of, of, of what's at stake, and it, we don't have to name it about, you know, the climate crisis, but understanding, you know, what, it, what lives in our backyard, that what lives um, on the, you know, in the on the street corner or where it's growing um, in our communities. And from a very young age, we can show children this. And as they get older, we can, that can be part of it. Taking them, you know, you talk about being an activist. Well, that means different things to different, you know, some of us go to rallies and marches and it becomes part of our family story and our family history that that is important to us. Or you work a lot on um, educating people on toxins and the importance of what is around us in our homes, um, on our playgrounds, so educating, you know, making that important as well, too, because it's all connected. You know, we look at who makes some of those very toxic chemicals, and many of them are fossil fuel companies. They're all, you know, tied together in terms of the impacts on our 
um, planet to be able to sustain and, you know, create a, a safe home for us where weakening her. She's sick and pointing that out to our kids. So having a family plan as a young, as, as a family and some, you know, do you have family meetings? Well, where's the climate part of that plan? Is that, you know, what, what are you setting goals for your own individual family? With you know, people talk about your environmental footprint. Well, actually measure that um, and then work to reduce it. And again, as you know, and I know that you know this, and we know intimately, the climate crisis is something that we need systemic change for. We need big changes. But that means, too, that each step we can take, um, we should be taking. And those people that can take giant leaps, we must demand they do so. So showing your children um, the importance of uh, democracy, of voting, of voting for people that have a climate plan, whether they're five years old and they can draw a picture about what they love and care about and you send that to your mayor or your governor uh, or they're you know 16 years old and you, you filled out your ballot and they're watching you you know do that and you're voting for people because they have not only talked about the climate crisis but they have a plan they're ready to activate when they get elected so you know those are just a, a few examples of the things we talk about in the book but there are you know many many ways that we can show our children because we get it how they can then take steps even when they can't vote even when they're very young that actually make a difference right so i think also yeah i think that's critical and, and showing them their peers young kids that are being listened to that are that are speaking that are being heard um expressing their concerns and their hopes um is other uh, is another way too Right. That's all. It's it's really all good uh, and a good ideas. Uh, I wanted to just just comment on the idea that if children don't know intimately what they're trying to protect, then they're then they they never really get it. So keeping you know this idea of you know of introducing your your children to the the world yeah, around the us the to the natural world, world yeah. and showing them, you know, plants and trees and how important they are to the planet and to us uh, and clean water and, you know, all these things that are that are around us that are all at risk from the, the ravages of climate change. If kids don't know it, if they don't intimately know it, how can they, how can they want to protect it? Exactly. And, you know, we take so much for granted growing up um, for us or my kids on the east coast of the U.S. that you turn your tap on and clean water comes out or that there is water right. or that, you know, there's food in the grocery store. Well, well, where did that water come from? Where, where did that food come from? You know, helping, you know, going, we, we just out of sight, out of mind, right? We throw something, we assume it's getting recycled. I mean, that's a whole other story too, but those are all part of the, the stories, the things we can talk to our kids about and understand we can't take any of those things for granted. We can see how supply chains get disrupted. We've seen that happen directly. And so I think we can also teach our children from the COVID crisis, because we will come out of that, that the connections to what we take, you know, what we assume is there and what can change very quickly. And our climate emergency is moving forward at a faster and faster pace. And we need to adapt. We need to be ready. We need to not only understand what we need to protect. We need to show our children how to be ready, just as we have, what do we do if there's a fire? Well, fires, if you live in a fire zone, in a, in, in a forested area, they burn faster and farther. How, how, are, how is your family prepared? How is the kid's school prepared? How do we prepare our kid's school 
to teach all of these things. That's a whole other area. But as a parent, let's show our kids we care about what they're learning in school, and climate education needs to be part of that um, cross-curricular, right, at, not just in science class. So all of, you know, depending what we as parents are passionate about, there's a lot to add to our plate as our parental responsibilities, but pick something that, you know, there are many ways to show our kids the importance of the world around us uh, the importance that we attach to that, how we care about what they learn, and how they can be part of creating a, a stronger and more resilient planet because we're putting a lot of stress on her, and that just can't disappear overnight. So right, we right. Need, she needs our help. <laughs> okay, so I want to uh, just get two more things from you. One is about this term Anthropocene, is am I pronouncing yes. that? And I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that mm-hmm. properly to, to discuss that. And then I want to talk about the emotional, um, mental um, impact that this is having mm-hmm. on our children. So let's just talk first about this new term that's describing sure. our current geological time period. Right. So we have these ge- uh, scientists define these different geological times. And what we are hearing from science from scientists, and again, the exact date, was it in 2000, was it last year? But somewhere in within the last um, decade, we have entered this new epoch. We have entered the um, Anthropocene, the age of the human, the age of man, it actually um, translates to. And we are at a point in the history of our planet where we, as the human species, are the forcing agent on our planet, the strongest forcing agent on our planet. We are stronger than the impacts of volcanoes or solar, um, you know, the sun in that respect, in that we, because of our creation of these greenhouse gases that weren't supposed to be there, are heating up our planet and changing it. So we have entered the age of man, which is, um, you know, a heady thing to think about, um, Hmm. that we, as a singular species... In some ways, it's like, wow, that's so incredible, right? A singular species on this planet has the, the power now to change it in ways that only nature could change it before. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I do a, a program in the schools. It's, um, it's called uh, Gifts from the Earth. And mm-hmm. we talk about air, water, and soil, or, you know, our, our air, obviously, water, which we need. These are all essential life-giving gifts. Uh, and then I, I often ask the question, this is actually to young children, I say, well, here, we're the most, we're the most intelligent life form on Earth, and yet we're the only life form that, that pollutes our air, our water, our food supply, the places where we live. Nobody else is doing that. Do you ever see a squirrel do that? Do you ever see it, you know? And I, I ask them these questions. They're like, no. Well, why are we doing this? And it's always some really smart kid, even in kindergarten, that kind of rubs his fingers together and says, it's about money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, how do you? Wow. That's impressive. Kids, kids get it early. Kids get it early. They do. They do. Okay, so now let's talk about kids and uh, how do they survive this mentally? How do they cope? How do they adapt to this? Well, we know kids are very adaptable. And I think helping, again, telling the truth, right? Not pretending that everything is okay when it clearly isn't. And again, then age-appropriate conversations and letting our kids know that there are many, many really smart people, as you said, and some of them might be five years old, but really there's scientists, there's politicians, there's faith-based leaders, there's parents like their parents that are 
that are working in their own way to slow down this uh, crisis that's before us. And, you know, using examples, you know, and again, going back to what, you know, much of the world has talked about, unfortunately, as we had this crazy shutdown with COVID, the climate hasn't improved per se, but we've seen that we can clean up the air, right? How quickly can the planet heal herself if we give her a chance? The scientists are telling us we still have time. And I think that's important to remind our kids and remind ourselves that we, we are heading towards passing tipping points, but we haven't passed them yet. And we are pushing our planetary boundaries out, you know, at, at, at an extreme uh, where they're ready to burst. But we can slow things down so that it, and I truly believe this, and I, I firmly um, will not accept that my children, your grandchildren and children, the children the world over have no future, that it's all doomed. And there are people that they can they speak in that voice too. And depending on what path we choose to follow. So we are alive at this incredible moment in human history to actually change that course. And, you know, for all the terribleness of 2020, maybe this is that year. Um, Let's see. But it needs to happen quickly. Um, So giving our children, recognizing the grief, because and letting them know we feel that way too, right? That at times I'm overwhelmed with sadness about, what I see happening around us across many spectrums, but hiding that or pretending it isn't there isn't going to be helpful, I don't believe. Um, letting them know we too are uncertain, but there are really smart people in so many different ways working on solutions or, or working on slowing down the crisis and finding new ways forward. And that can happen really quickly. As, and in that respect, too, what, look, at we're putting all these minds all over the world in science, uh, working on ways to slow down the virus in front of us, etc. So it can happen. We can come together, both at the community level and beyond, to work on the climate crisis. So I feel acknowledging their feelings, letting them know we feel that way at times, too, but that really... So many people are working and carrying this on their in their arms and shoulders. It doesn't rest on their shoulders. We're moving forward. So I think it's not active hope, and I talk about that in the book, right? We can't just hope by itself. Mm-hmm. We need to show them, all the people um, and young people like them and all the people that are working on these uh, ways forward in a positive way, understanding the seriousness of it at the same time. When you think about Harriet, when you think about the way this is going to be fixed, is it going to take a, a some sort of cataclysmic event? Uh, are we going to have to see really terrible kinds of, of destruction around the world and probably here in the United States before we get it? Um, we're, uh, we're already seeing it. Yeah, Patty, I know we're seeing it, but we're not doing what we need to do yet, right? Right. 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 Are we going at the speed that needs to that yeah. we would need to yeah. do to fix that? And yeah. you know what? Um, it's such a good question, Doug. And I think you could hear people that would argue both things uh, you know, from both sides. We have this opportunity now internationally, you know, the internationally um, and nationally and locally to to because we're entering this depression or you know certainly recession depression how do we build back holistically how how do we put people to work ensure people have food security have access to clean water how do we rebuild our infrastructure which we know in the u.s is falling apart all that you know that idea which somehow has again been politicized of what does a green new deal look like whatever you want to call it how are we going to 
take those next steps forward that build and adapt so that we can deal with the storms that are here and the storms that are coming, we need to talk about that directly and we need to be planning for that. And um, there will be figuratively and literally big storms to come. We know that parts of our country along the coast are they're just in the path of, uh, of rising sea level and, and we you're not going to be able to build walls to protect that. We need to retreat. We need to t- have realistic conversations about how we uh, uh, deal with what's coming in our lifetimes, never yeah. mind your grandchildren's lifetime. So having these kinds of conversations that are real and we're not, you know, we're talking about these very complicated things, there will be those big storms, but hopefully we, we are working towards shoring up our ways of dealing with those, and we just don't wait until that disaster completely unfolds. I have hope in our democracy that we can shore it up, that we can have good people that actually get this and understand it and move quickly, Um, but it can happen at a community level, too. We don't have to wait for the federal government to to do all of those things. Yeah. I feel like I feel myself washed back and forth between optimism and pessimism we mm-hmm. we went the other day to um to a, a park with our grandchildren to go to the beach and we drove down dune road in west hampton uh, mm-hmm. off long island you know and it's one gigantic house after another with very fancy cars parked in the you know in the front these are multi-million dollar houses and they go on mm-hmm. and on and on mm-hmm. and i think you know, these are the deniers. These are the people who want their beachfront house no matter what, and mm-hmm. they're going to fight against efforts to understand what we're up against. And then, you know, and then we get on the on the phone with people like you, and I'm more inspired that, you know, we're in good hands and things are going to be okay. It's I imagine children are also pulled that way because they, you know, kids are so perceptive today in the world. They hear things. Uh, they hear more than we want them to hear, right? They True. and and I feel that they're probably buffeted about by this in the same way, right? And 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 you know that is the reality of the world that we live in. It isn't, uh, you know, that fairy tale that, it, that, that we are. You know, we have to use all of these ways to to as teaching examples. You know, the the um, uprising over racial injustice in our country, particularly, but but around the world. You know, many communities that are least responsible for finding or creating our climate crisis are, are going to be hit the hardest. They already are. And mm-hmm. making that and, show, you know, our kids see that and they hear that. And you can, as you said, right, you can really drive down one road and then five minutes away there's another road and yeah. a whole other existence of people living. And, and we can't, that's important we point those out. And, and maybe that's all we can do is pointing that out. But then maybe there's a way to work on, you know, those business executives, et cetera, that maybe have more power in their industries. You know, mm-hmm. they, again, there's this long supply chain that actually isn't long or what we think it is in many um, places and industries. And if we don't start healing the planet and, and getting rid of those destructive industries and and we're all suffering, you know, and, know. and again, there are many that it happens to first and worst. But you're right. Kids get it. They see it. So, yeah, um, you know, yeah. there's a. I th- I think it's a a fairly good analogy. I mean, you're looking at people who are very careful about wearing their masks out in public, and there are people who are protesting against it, who are saying, "I I resist. I'm free, yeah. and yeah. I resist. Yeah. I re- I will not comply. I will not comply." And they they're not going to wear their masks, even though it is clearly 
the right thing to do right now. And for everybody being, else. For right? everybody else, yeah. not just for themselves. And th- this is an, also an important thing to point out to your children. So It's so crazy, right? And that's yeah. just seemingly such a simple, easy thing we can all do. But I think that you raise a good point in that way, too, because it just seems more clear to me anyways. You know, I, I am also, I'm a Canadian and I'm an American. Um, and why is it that we, uh, you know, individual freedoms are critical and they're important, but there are many, many things that we need to do as a nation. We need to come together on. And uh, with the climate crisis, we, you know, we, and with many of these things, right, there, we don't need everyone, um, but we need enough people that we move things forward. And certain things, we're going to need a strong um, state and federal government to, because there should be a mask mandate, you know, like, mm. hello, mm. you know, let's, right. let's wear those. So, so some things we are going to be able to change and do and other things we need, we need help them and we need to protect our democracy. That's part of the climate crisis and helping children understand that, 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 that they are intimately connected, you know, is also critical. So voting, yeah, running for office yeah. as parents, that's part of it. Supporting companies that are actually walking the walk, uh, all of those things. And how do we relate that to reminding our kids that wearing a mask is important? You know, we, we need to weave these stories. And I think you help do that in your show, bringing all these different guests and in your work. And again, we won't be able to change everyone's views, but we need to change enough and make sure that we have people in positions of power that actually understand what's critically at stake. You've been listening to Green Street on WBAI, and our guest has been Harriet Sugarman, the climate mama and author of the book, How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street. And until then, please stay safe, be well, and take care of each other.